would you be willing to stand up strong in your faith? It could happen, and sadly, the signs we're seeing today are showing we are moving in that direction. Right now, all over the U.S. and other countries, churches are fighting to stay open as they're being told that they cannot even gather together, even outdoors to worship. I heard from a pastor from California who said that he was barred from even having a small Bible study inside of his home even with them keeping the guidelines and the safety precautions of the state. But it's not only churches. We're also seeing this at college campuses throughout the United States, where outspoken Christians are being ridiculed, mocked, demeaned, and even targeted for their faith. Many are called hateful and horrible names, because they dare to stand up for biblical truth, and they don't back down. In many of the extreme cases we've seen, many Christians have been killed because of what they believe, and because they stood strong in their faith. I read a story of a shooting that happened in Oregon many years ago, where the shooter would walk in and ask questions like, are you a Christian? Or say things like, if you're a Christian, stand up because you're going to see God soon. There's been so many of these instances that we've seen. And so I'm asking you right now, would you be able to stand strong and boldly say, yes, I am a child of God. Yes, I am a follower of Christ. And are you willing to give up your life, sometimes your family, or your friends for your faith. I would like to think that the majority of us would, because we as believers in Christ know that where we are going when we die. But tonight I want to discuss how we as passionate followers of Christ can stand strong in our faith when we're being persecuted. In 2 Timothy 3.12, we read, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. So what it's saying here is that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In Luke 21.12, we also see Jesus talking about this. When Jesus was talking to his disciples about the future, and the persecution that they will undergo, he told them, but before all this occurs, there will be great time of persecution. When we read in the book of Acts, we read about many of the instances of persecution the apostles went through. We can learn from their ways and from the Gospels and from the book of Acts how they all handled persecution. And one thing that we see throughout is that persecution by the early church was looked at as a blessing. I believe it's still true today. That instead of looking at persecution for our faith as a burden, we should look at it as a blessing. We should remember from Christ's words 
that when we become followers of Christ, we should expect persecution. In John 15, 18, and 19, we see that Jesus made a statement to his disciples where he was saying not if you will face persecution, but he said that they will face persecution. Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would not love you. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Those are very strong words. And it's so very true today. I mean, look at our world today. It seems if you go along with what the world believes in matters of faith or anything else, as long as you believe what they believe, you're welcomed into their circle. But the moment that you start going against what the majority in the world believe, and you start standing firm in what the Bible says on these worldly matters, that's when we begin to get attacked, we get called names, and sometimes we see that many other things happen that's even worse than that. If you look at the news any day of the week, you will see when Christians confront the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the world usually reacts violently. So how do we react to this? Let's look at 1 Peter 2.21. Peter's telling us how we as believers in Christ should respond to a violent and hateful world. He's telling us that we should do good. It's that simple. Do good. Peter says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, He is your example, and you must follow His steps. We must do good. Not only in the good times, but Peter is saying here that even in suffering. And why is he saying that? It's because we are to follow in the example of Christ. And we as passionate followers of Christ must follow in his footsteps. Christ's life was an example for us. I know that I, as a father, want my children to follow in my example of faith. That's my desire. Christy and I have raised our children to follow our example of following Christ. It is with God. If we want to know what God desires of us, all we need to do is look at the life of Christ. That's his desire for us to follow so closely to Christ by staying in his word. And I do believe that the closer that we are to him, the easier it is for us to follow him. So, if we should expect persecution, and Jesus clearly says that when we follow him, we will be persecuted, what should we do when we are persecuted? How do we stand strong and stand firm in our faith when persecution comes? Paul is a great example of a follower of Christ being persecuted for their faith. If you remember, Paul went from being a persecutor to being a persecutee. But Paul is also an example of joy 
even in persecution. After his radical conversion, he completely dedicated his life to serve and preach Jesus to everyone, no matter the circumstances and no matter the consequences. When we read what Paul wrote in Philippians 1, 27 through 30, we see how we should be living as citizens of heaven, even in persecution. Here's what Paul wrote. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that's from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw, I had, and now hear that I still have. So in context here, Paul is writing from a Roman jail. And he's heard that because he was imprisoned, there were some in the church that were infighting on some of what was being taught. And so he wanted to write to them to stand firm in the faith. And with Paul, a worthy life is a major theme with him in his writings. Living a worthy life. This section of Philippians is also the heart of the letter. The first thing that we see here is that no matter what we are going through in life, whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly, we as passionate followers of Christ should always act in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Right away in verse 27, Paul tells the Philippian believers that they must live as citizens of heaven and conduct themselves in that way. Worthy living is not abandoning the faith, but standing firm in the faith, no matter where they are or no matter what they are going through. We need to be good citizens here on earth. We need to obey the law. We need to help those that are in need. Because wherever we go and whatever we do, we are representing Christ. So our lives here on earth should show that. We need to live a consistent Christian life. So many people are looking at us and the way that we act when things are going well. And they're also looking at us when things are not going so well. And so not only are we to believe the gospel, but we are called to live the gospel. If you say you're a follower of Christ, then you should act like you're a follower of Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian in a fallen world that we live in. In other words, we should walk the talk. But God does not expect perfection in our life. But he does expect us to show that we live a Christ-like life and that we are showing a consistency in our life in Christ. And this means that we are loving people, 
that we're forgiving others, and that we're living with hope. And that we're living a life of holiness before him. We also see Paul telling them to stand fast in one spirit. We're to stand firm together as the body of Christ. Paul is encouraging believers to be unified, standing side by side as they fight together for the good news, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are better together. When we're together, we're better. How many times have you watched some type of team sport? When you're watching this sports, you see that the team has to work together. They have to stand together, they have to work together, and they have to play together in order to win. Once they begin getting fighting within or not being united as a team, then they're going to lose. Not only are we better together, but we're also stronger together. I heard a story about a man named Matthew Araga. And many people won't know his name, but you may remember the story. He was not a Christian, and he was taken with 20 Egyptian Christians by ISIS in 2015. And one by one, these Christians were beheaded for their faith in Jesus Christ. One by one, they knelt together and they were asked, do you reject Jesus? And one by one, kneeling together, they said, Jesus Christ is my Savior. And so we know that as one by one they did that, they got beheaded for their faith because they would not reject Jesus. And so when ISIS got to Matthew, who was not a Christian, they demanded that he follow Islam. And they asked him to reject Christ. And after he sat knelt there with the other 20, and after witnessing the faith of those who were killed before him, Matthew said, their God is my God. And he became one of the 21 men who laid down their life for their faith in Jesus Christ. This man gave his life to Christ in his final moments, and he woke up in the presence of Christ. So we as a body of Christ need to stand together, and we need to stand strong for his glory. Being united and of one mind, standing firm together in our faith, and it means not being afraid to boldly proclaim the gospel and love the gospel together no matter who opposes us. Because as I said, we are stronger together. Another point that we see in Philippians here is that we need to be brave when persecution comes. And since we've read that Jesus told us that when we follow him, we should expect persecution when persecution does come. But we need to be brave in the face of persecution. I always remember that phrase that keeps coming to my mind. If you bow down before God, you can stand before anyone. And that's true. 
So we shouldn't let unbelievers scare us. We live in a cruel world, and we live in a cruel culture. Just look online at any social media outlets. We see bullies who try and mock and curse and question our faith. We see sometimes at the workplace that people try to avoid us, or many times they ridicule us. Many times they slander us for our faith. But don't let them scare you. We as believers in Christ are not motivated by fear. And so as we move on, we see that Paul writes in verse 28 about this is that persecution is a clear sign or evidence of not only the opponent's destruction, but persecution is a clear sign or evidence of the Philippians' deliverance and salvation. And it's true with us today, too. God wants his followers to not be frightened by anything or anyone. He wants us to be courageous, and he wants us to stand firm, and he wants us to live for him. And then in verse 29 and 30, Paul continues. And after Paul says, not to be afraid, he calls the suffering for Christ a blessing. How many of you woke up today, this morning, and said, thank you, Lord, for the blessing or for the suffering I'm about to endure today? I know I didn't. Probably nobody did. But Paul is saying that suffering for the gospel is a privilege. He looks at it like a gift. Because our suffering develops in us a stronger faith. And we become more valuable for the kingdom of God. It's when we suffer that we're able to help others who are suffering the way we have suffered. It makes us more sensitive to other Christians who are struggling with addiction. Some who are struggling with loss. Some who have bad reports from a doctor that you may have gone through. We become more sensitive in our walk in Christ. And Paul in verse 30 identifies with them. And that's what we're supposed to do. He's telling his readers that he was engaged in the same conflict that they saw. And I'm sure that comforted them to know that Paul was going through the same thing that they were going through. How many times have you talked to somebody that's gone through the same thing that you've gone through and you've been comforted by that? And as a matter of fact, when we keep reading on, Paul then tells them that not only was he engaged in the same conflict, but he's still going through this suffering and he's not complaining about it. Paul gives us a strong example of what it means to bear persecution. He'd been arrested, he'd been beaten, and he was jailed when he was in Philippi. And the early church knew about this, and they saw that he bore it all for Christ. So we too can follow in his footsteps, and we can take whatever persecution comes our way, and while we're doing that, we can stand firm and stand strong in our faith for Christ. 
But one thing is, is that we shouldn't just go out and seek persecution. But if and when it does come our way, we should not be surprised by it. I'm sure many people know Philippians 1.21. We all know that verse. It says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so many times when I hear people talk about this Bible verse, many times I hear people, they focus on the to die is gain part. But we as followers of Christ should also focus on to live is Christ part of it. Because when suffering and persecution comes our way, and it will, our aim should to bring glory to Jesus and continue to proclaim the gospel of Christ by imitating the example of Christ and keep him at the center of our mind, our heart, and our body and soul. As we continually fix our eyes on Jesus, and do everything for his glory. So what can we do to stand firm in our faith in times of persecution? Well, the first thing that we should do is that we should stay in the word of God. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it, expos it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God is not just words from God, but it is living, it is life-changing, and it's dynamic. When we read God's word daily, we're able to stand strong in our faith and keep going through the good times and in the bad times. Another way is that we need to stay connected. Stay connected to each other. I've said it before, and I love the way that Woodland Church has been connect, staying connected to everyone. With our Wednesday services here online, our Sunday services, our Saturday prayers, Pastor and Becky's daily updates, giving us updates, keeping us connected together as a church family, even when we can't come and gather with each other right now. And I love the way that Paul talks about the church being like a body, with all of its members being parts of the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. I wrote the verse down in, your, in the app. Um, it's too long for me to say right now, so just go back and I urge, urge you to just read that and see what Paul has to say there. Because we're all important parts of the body of Christ. And when we all stand united together, we're able to stand firm in our faith against persecution that may come our way. And when we are going through trials and struggles, we have our church family to come to, and they build us up. And they get us through those tough times. The third and final thing is to stay in prayer. Prayer is an important part of our Christian life. Prayer makes us more like Jesus, and it reveals the heart and mind of God. It also allows us to worship and give thanks to God and praise to the Lord. And not only should we be praying for those around us, like our family and our friends and our neighbors, but we should be praying daily 
for those persecuted believers everywhere. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.18, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. That's not just every so often. That's at all times and every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. This is why that we pray for our missionaries. Because some of the missionaries that we have come to our church, and even those that are out there in the field right now, are in very violent places. And so we need to pray that the Lord will protect them and be present with them. And that their bold witness would have an impact on those who are looking to harm them. Billy Graham once wrote, If Christianity is to survive in a world filled with materialism, the church must have a revival of prayer. I truly believe this. It's time for us as the body of Christ to cry out to the Lord and become men and women of bold prayer. Praying for our country. Praying for our leaders and our cities and our families. Praying for our neighbors. And we're to pray that God will fill us with the passion of Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit to revive us. And so how can we do this? Stay in the Word of God and stay in prayer. You can join us every Saturday online for our Saturday prayer service with Pastor and Becky. It's important that we stay in prayer, especially in these times that we're living in. And while you're online joining us for prayer every Saturday, let us know that you're there. Let us know that you're agreeing with Pastor and Becky in prayer. Tell your friends and your family to tune in every Saturday for prayer. Also, you can let us know what your prayer needs are. You can do that by emailing us here at Woodland so that we know how to pray for you and what your prayer needs are. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. Thanks so much for a powerful and a very stirring message. And I don't know about you, but I see tremendous growth in Keith as a preacher and, and the depth of your message. And that was a message for all of us. And I really, really appreciate it. And I want to just say to you this evening as well, there is a strength. I know that sometimes the talk of persecution can be sort of frightening to Christians in the Western world. But I was having a conversation just before church tonight with another Christian leader. Some of us have worked in parts of the world where people are being actively persecuted for their faith. We're talking about not only economic persecution, but physical persecution as well. There is a grace that comes from God to those who put their faith in him. And I just want to say again, thanks. for That was a very sound and a very balanced message. Well, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to join me in prayer. I want to pray for you. Um, I'm not anticipating, I don't think Keith is anticipating any sort of physical persecution, but there is definitely a clash going on in our world today between a biblical worldview and between a secular worldview, and in some cases, even worse than that. We see it right now where... The, the Supreme Court Justice, who is up for her interview with the Congress this week, with the Senate this week, 
her faith has been challenged in the media. Her, her convictions have been challenged, and these are the same historical convictions that have belonged to the body of Christ. Even her prayer has been challenged. Our, her family has been challenged. Um, she's, uh, from all appearances, is a passionate follower of Christ. She's a spirit-filled believer. Uh, she's one with an interracial family. And, you know, everything has been questioned about her simply because of her faith and her political convictions. Friends, that ought not to be in America. Question jurisprudence. Question how you're going to, to how you look at the law, the Constitution. All of those are fair questions. But those are the kind of questions that employers cannot even ask of their employees. These are the kind of questions that the Constitution guaranteed that you and I would be protected from. And I think this is the light in which Keith was bringing this message tonight. And uh, I was able to preview it, so I was very comfortable with this message. I think it's a message that we're all going to have to be prepared for. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you're at home, stand up with me. I hope that doesn't feel awkward. Just stand with me, and let's agree together in prayer this evening. Lord, I thank you from the very bottom of my heart for the grace that you give to us to prevail. I thank you, Lord, for the grace and the kindly favor that you have bestowed upon all of us, O oh Lord, who have set our hearts on pilgrimage. We know that this world is not our home. We know that our home is in you. We know that, Lord, you have prepared a place for us in your Father's house. And tonight as we pray, I ask you for the manifestation of grace in each of us, that we will not love our lives more than we love you. And should the call ever come for us to lay down our our finances, for us to lay down, Lord, our lives even, may we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ and count this physical life as more important than your word and our testimony for Jesus Christ. I ask you this evening, Lord, for your blessings upon your church. Strengthen us, purify us. You have done something deep in all of us during this COVID crisis. And finally, Lord, I thank you for a promise from your word today that I read and just thought about this message. Father, all of those who live righteously, all of those who live godly and follow you, you have promised to bless them, to prosper them, and bring their lives to a happy end. And I thank you that upon that shore, when Matthew confessed his faith in Christ, Lord, no matter what had happened up until that time, Lord, when those fanatics took his life, his life came to a happy end as he opened up his eyes in the presence of our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, bless us all tonight and strengthen us, and thank you for the gifts of Keith and his family and their ministry here at Woodland. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, and can I ask you tonight to join us as well in your support, your tithes and offerings? I was just so happy just a few minutes ago to be able to sign and send out another check for helping in missions around the world and ministries around the world. And tonight, I'm just asking you to be faithful with your tithes and your offerings, and you can text to give at 77977 and use the keyword Woodland Church. That's all one word, Woodland, no space, Woodland Church, and it will come up. You should see our logo there, or you can click online and give at our website, or you can mail a check. But help us to keep these ministries going. Help us to keep reaching out. 
Even this week, I heard from folks in our community already, and it's only Wednesday, who have thanked us for reaching out. And just a few moments ago, our church was able to reach out to a family in need, and we're able to do that because of your continued faithfulness. I love you. God bless you. Keith, thank you again for a great message this evening. God bless you. I'll look forward to seeing you Saturday for our Saturday prayer service at 6 o'clock.